0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge of Wharton.
1: Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Deborah Yao, Senior Editor at Knowledge of Wharton. I'm here today with Wharton Marketing Professor Ron Berman to talk about this paper, which has kind of an intimidating title, but the findings are actually quite astounding. The paper is titled P-Hacking and False Discovery in A-B Testing. Welcome, Ron.
0: Thank you very much, Deborah.
1: Your paper's title is really quite a mouthful, but it's actually not as intimidating as it sounds. If I understood it correctly, your research showed that when companies are analyzing their data, most of them are doing it incorrectly and possibly coming up with the wrong results. But before we get into your paper, Let's get some technical terms out of the way. Here are three that are very central to your research. Uh, They are A-B testing, null hypothesis testing, and P-hacking. Can you explain what they are?
0: Yes. So... A-B testing is is historically a simple idea. So imagine you want to test uh, two versions of your website. So imagine one version says something about the brand of your product and the other version says something about the technical abilities of your product. And you want to determine which one makes consumers respond better. and buy your product more. So version one will be called A, version two will be called B. A-B testing just says show, uh, let's say, half the population version A randomly and half the population version B, compare the performance of which one sells more and then pick the one that performs the best. And this is A-B testing. Now, the problem is that when you do an A-B test, uh, the results are random in a sense that some people buy, some people don't buy. And over time, it changes and fluctuates over time. So the question is, how do you know when to stop? How do you know when A is really better than B? You kind of do an average over time, and you want to know, is this average dramatically different or not? And usually the way to determine that is to do something called null hypothesis testing. So this is usually what is being taught in a data analytics class or probability class or statistics class. The idea there is you do some calculation on the averages you find, and you say, I'm going to assume that the averages are the same, that A is not better than B. But if I can reject that hypothesis, if I can say that A is definitely better than B, then I'm going to pick A. And if B is better than A, I'm going to pick B. So this is the kind of the mathematical way to do these things. So when we teach A-B testing and hypothesis testing, we basically tell people what you need to do is to design an experiment, set it up in advance, run it until the end of the experiment and make the decision. You should not look at the experiment while it is running. You shouldn't test if A is better than B while it's running, only after it's finished. P-hacking is this idea that uh, while the experiment is running, you're going to try, and it's called peaking. You're going to look at the experiment while it's running and say maybe A is better than B, maybe B is better than A. You're going to use a statistical method of hypothesis testing, and what this method gives you at the end is something called a p-value. And the p-value is trying to estimate how different is A than B or how... Uh, significant is the difference between A and B. If you look at this value during the experiment, it fluctuates. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. P-hacking means I'm going to look until it reaches some threshold, and then I'm going to stop the experiment. And basically, uh, statistically, it's it's the wrong procedure to use. It's actually an incorrect way to stop the experiment.
1: So, uh, what was the goal of your research when you started collecting your data in 2014, and why did you choose this topic? And also, who provided you with the data?
0: So, so in 2014, there was a lot of controversy in the academic world about um, researchers be hacking their experiments. And the idea was, in order to publish an academic paper, you want to show that the result is statistically significant. But as I said, if you check during the experiment if the result is significant, it might randomly be like that. There were quite a few academics doing that. And actually, my colleagues here at Wharton, Yuri Simons and Joe Simmons, and another uh, professor in the marketing department at Haas named Leif Nelson became quite famous with developing a method to detect this cheating, let's call it, in academic research. And the question I was interested in is do also business experiments have this behavior? The reason we were interested is that in a business experiment, you have an incentive not to make a mistake. If you make a mistake and you select A when B is better, you're actually going to lose money. Um, and the company that provided us with the data is called Optimizely. They're the largest and leading, most leading um, platform for A-B testing. Uh, they've been around for quite a few years. And in 2014, they were going through an interesting process where they changed how they show statistics to people in order to help them correct for p-hacking, in order to guard them from p-hacking. And I asked them, can I get the data from before you made the change? I want to see what people were doing before you made the change and were they making these mistakes.
1: So basically what you're saying is that 57% of data analysts, when they mine the data to see which direction a company should take, are not doing it right and potentially getting the wrong results. But tell me what exactly are they doing that's wrong?
0: So what they do is, well, the exper- suppose you wanna, should run the experiment for, let's say, four or five weeks. What you can do is every day you can look at the result of the experiment so far. And one of the results will say, is A better than B or not with significance, like with 90% significance or so 80% significance? What people shouldn't do, and this is what many of them were doing, is they're waiting until the first time it hit this 90% threshold and stop. The reason it's a mistake is that if they waited a bit longer, you might go below 90% and below 70% and then above and then below because, again, this is a random process. If they waited until the end of the predetermined experiment, in the end it might have been 70%, in which case they wouldn't choose, let's say, A or B. But when they stopped at 90 in week one, they probably chose A incorrectly. Um, And this is, uh, as you said, 57% of analysts were doing that. It was a pretty common phenomenon that we observed in the data.
1: So to make this, this um, more concrete to our listeners, can you give us a real-world example of how one can hack and get the wrong results?
0: So I'll tell you something we found in the data. What we found in the data is that was there was a tendency to stop the experiments um, in cycles of seven days. For example, you run the experiment, you wait a week. Now you need to write a report to your manager. So you open the dashboard after a week and you take a look. And suddenly the dashboard says, oh, it's 90% significant towards a version of variation A. So you say, oh, it's great. It's 90% better. I'm going to stop it. This is something you shouldn't do. The fact that you need to report that the experiment is going doesn't mean that you need to stop it. So this was pretty common. We saw actually people stopping it with much higher probability after 7 days, 14 days, 21 days, and 28 days. We also interestingly saw that no one stops experiments on the weekend because no one is at work to look at experiments, but many more stop them on uh, Fridays and Mondays because this is when they probably submit reports to their managers. All of these behaviors are probably things that you shouldn't do unless you predetermine them before the experiment and you're not trying to determine to stop as the experiment is running.
1: So what kinds of experiments, for example, are they running? So would it be like looking at whether web page A is better known, web page B, or what are they trying to find out? So,
0: so there's a few examples. We don't have uh, exact information because we want to maintain the privacy of the experimenters, but pretty common is um, I design a web page that has a sign-up process, and one of them has three steps and one of them has seven steps. So which one gets more people to sign up? Or for example, I would like to ask for your personal details first in the checkout process, or I would like to ask for your personal details at the end of the checkout process, which one determines higher conversions or higher probability of purchase. Some examples are just the color of the page. I want to have maybe a design which is more bright or more dark, which one gets better messages, etc. Another interesting test people do is very common is subject of emails. I want to send a daily newsletter And I have two ideas for the subject of the email. And we know from research, it really determines whether people open up their email or not. So I send to a small sample of the population. Some of them get version A, some of them get version B. I see which ones get opened first, and then I determine which one to send to others. So there are many, many, many uses for this type of technology of experimentation.
1: So do you think these people are, uh, these data analysts are purposely making these mistakes? I mean, what, why are they doing it?
0: So we can't really determine why they're doing it, uh, but we have two leading hypotheses uh, which we would love to test in, in the future research. One of them is it's just a mistake. Uh, when you take a statistics class, people tell you this p-value is going to be indicative of how significant the result is. 90% or 95% is good. You can stop. They don't really emphasize that this is only correct at the end of the experiment, but not during the experiment. Um, And we just call it in the paper, uh, lack of statistical training. People are unaware of it. But to give an example, even academics were unaware of it and they were doing it all the time, although they were using statistics every day. So one reason is just a mistake. Another reason that we hypothesize is what we call agency concerns. Suppose I'm a marketing manager or even an advertising agency and I ran an A-B test and now I'm going to my customer, the advertiser that hired me. I don't have a lot of incentives to show them that my experiments don't work. I designed these two creatives for an ads and now none of them are performing better. So one, the other reason is that you have an an incentive to only show uh, better or good results. And basically if an experiment is not working, you're kind of put it on the side or you're going to try, let's say run it longer or shorter until you get the result that you want.
1: Great. Um, So uh, in a company context, Uh, obviously generating possibly incorrect results would carry a cost to the operations. Um, You mentioned the cost of commission and omission. Can you explain what those are and and what is the magnitude of these costs?
0: So a cost of commission is you determine, let's say, that one policy is better than the other, and now you go and implement it on everyone. For example, suppose you made a test that tests, one version has uh, two days free shipping, and the other one has 10 days free shipping. And you did it in a small sample of the population, and it seems like the two days free shipping is going to give you much, much better results in sales. But it was p hacked so it's incorrect. What you'll do now is you're going to go and commit. You're going to change all of your shipping processes and procedures to allow for two days free shipping. It's going to be very, very costly. But in the end, you're not going to make extra revenue. So this is a cost of commission. I'm going to implement a policy which is costly, And it's going to be the wrong policy to implement. The cost of omission is a little bit different. Suppose that if you ran this experiment until the end, it told you you tested version A and B, and A is not better than B, or B is not better than A. Then what you would say, well, now maybe I'd prefer just to test a version C, and C might be better. So I'd prefer to run another experiment And the idea says that the more you experiment and the more you try to innovate, in the end you'll find something that works better. Because you now incorrectly thought that A is better than B, although A is not better than B, you're going to basically um, ignore the version C that you could have tested. So we call it a cost of omission. What we try to do with our data is we try to say, suppose that you p-hacked and you got the incorrect result, what could you have done? How much would you have gained from running another experiment? Um, and, and we estimated it in something called lift. So for a minute, I'll stop and explain what lift is and then I'll, I'll go back. So the lift of an experiment, say, uh, suppose I have version A, which is the current running version, and I'm trying to implement version B. The lift, it says, by how, what is the relative percentage improvement of version B versus A? For example, with version A, 50% of the people buy my product Version B, 55% of the people buy my product. So the lift is 10%. It's a 10% increase over version A. So what we estimated in our data is the cost of omission was about 2% lift points. Sounds very little, 2%, but in our data in total, most experiments get no more than 11% lift. So this is the median value. So you could have gotten an extra 2% over this 11% if you just run another experiment. And what we also find is that 76% of our experiments have a lift gain of less than 2%, which means 2% is a pretty high improvement that you're missing out of because of this p-hacking.
1: That sounds like a pretty hefty price to pay uh, if you do some p-hacking. Were there any other surprising findings from your analysis, which was pretty broad? Uh, You had 2,000 experiments.
0: So. Another interesting question we're trying to ask is suppose you just run an experiment, should you expect to even find a difference or do most experiments would yield nothing? Because uh, kind of the theory says it was so. if it was so easy to innovate, people will constantly change their websites, find new revenue uh, sources, etc. We find that more than 70% of the experiments are expected to yield no improvement. Now, this is not because of A-B testing. This is because it's just very hard to come up with good ideas. So For example, if someone tells you, let's design a website and test 10 different colors of the website. Actually, seven out of these 10 probably will have no difference. And if it's just a color change, I would expect none of them will have too much difference unless one of them is very ugly or something. Um, So it's pretty hard to find variations or changes in the websites that are actually expected to yield a big gain. Most of them will do nothing.
1: That's interesting. So uh, what are uh, some practical implications of your research for, let's say, A-B testing platforms and also for the analysts that are running the op- uh, the experiments? So,
0: so one interesting implication is what Optimizely did. Um, and the company at the time already switched to a different uh, methodology. They kind of realized uh, that people might be p-hacking, and they built a method called Stats Engine. The idea there is this is called a sequential test. It's actually a test where not only is it okay for you to p-hack, if you, when I mean p-hack, I mean look during the experiment and try to understand if to stop it or not. They correct those p-values. They adjust for your p-hacking behavior and make sure that in the long run, basically, your mistakes are going to be very, very small or not at all. So, optimize they kind of immediately figure this out and, and solved it. Um Other companies, again, intuitively knowing that might be a problem, develops uh, other methods. There's a Bayesian hypothesis testing, which is supposed to also help for this issue. There's uh, multi-armed bandits and other things. But for, I think one of the implications is for analysts and not only for platforms. For analysts, usually there's three important implications. So first of all, if you're using a platform for A-B testing... I know the platform tells you, you can stop the experiment now, it's 90% better, or the probability that it's better is 90%. What you would like is to understand what this 90% means. Under what condition is it correct? Can you do it during the experiment or after? Um, The other thing, which is uh, what I I might recommend, is that analysts should not look at the experiments while they're running unless the platform supports this looking. But finally, and this is probably a good... um, Practice for any experiment after you implement, you should probably continue to run it with a small uh, control group after. So once you said, I'm going to implement now version A, because it seemed to have been better than version B, what you want to have is you still want to have a small percentage of people getting version B over time to make sure that this difference is actually maintained over time. We call this monitoring or having a, a dynamic control group. You want to see that this difference is maintained and not that you just got a fluke of the test. Also, things change. People change. Uh, the responses change. You want to see that your version constantly is better than the other one.
1: So how will you follow up this research? And uh, do you already have other research related to this topic?
0: Um, so I'm currently working on a new paper. We haven't published it yet, so hopefully it's going to be out in a few months. So this is with a co-author uh, in Drexel University, Ali e. McDonald fight And what we're trying to do there is we're trying to say a lot of um, the platforms that do A-B testing focus a lot on telling, is version A better than version B? Uh, and doing this statistical test actually requires sometimes running the experiments very, very long amount of amounts of time. What we're trying to do is we're trying to say, suppose your goal of the experiment is not necessarily to pick A better than B. It's just to say, pick the one that will maximize my profits. Now, it sounds the same. If A is better than B, it will maximize my profits. But it's actually, there's a subtle difference. If A is only slightly better than B, you don't really care if which one is better. You just pick one of them. If A is much, much better than B, You want to pick A very early on. So we're designing a new experimental design that says, if this is your goal, you should run a different test. It's not going to be hypothesis test. It's still an A-B experiment. There's two versions. It's not a hypothesis hypothesis test. We call it profit-maximizing test, and it's going to be slightly different. Um, Other things I'm I'm trying to do is I'm trying to look um, at how behavior of people changed after you change your statistical behavior Um, And hopefully, if anyone has questions, et cetera, give them advice about A-B testing.
1: Wonderful. So we'll stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you very much, Deborah.
1: You can find more insights from Knowledge of Wharton on our website, knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on iTunes. We welcome your reviews.